we look at the passages for our lesson this evening, we're going to be looking at some of the same ones that we've been using all through the series, and especially New Testament passages, we talk about the role of the husband and his place in the marriage relationship. Husbands need to realize that the scriptures speak to them in a way that will push them to grow spiritually. The husbands in the family need to be teachers. Uh, they need to be able to exercise judgment and make choices and lead the family. And so they need to grow in Christ. And uh, to be good husbands, it's more important to be a faithful disciple, a well-taught follower of Christ, than it is to know any tricks of uh, romance or uh, human relations and, and the, the, the various uh, tools that are often used to, to help men figure out what they're supposed to do. We just need to be good men in the Lord, loving and gentle and compassionate, strong. These are some of the things we'll see. And so don't expect anything, any magic tricks here. So I'm going to call for each of us and all of us to grow up in Christ, to be faithful and to be strong disciples. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, we have the husband's role clearly defined and his responsibilities laid out. And uh, let's just start there in Ephesians chapter 5, which just seems like a continuation of our looking at this passage from this morning. I'm going to pause while you look for that passage and say again, thank you for inviting me to be here with you these last few days to teach. It's been a pleasure. Um, it's been stressful to me because I felt a weight of responsibility to present things that will help you, that will be accurate and truthful, faithful to the Word of God, and that can actually lead us to, to better lives. Uh, and I'm doing that not knowing where you are on the spectrum, but assuming that you're doing well already. And so it's challenging to me to then how and what can I say that will pull us even further ahead in the, uh, in the battle with Satan and this world and to be faithful to Christ, leading our families and, and leading our wives with us along the way in this lesson, talking to the husband. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your good attention and the way you've listened. It's, it's been encouraging for me. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 22, wives are told to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23 then really establishes clearly the role of the husband. The husband is head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. And so the, the, the husband is the head in the family and the head of the wife. As we said this morning, it is by heaven's declaration, by God's ordering of things, the husband occupies that position, and so that is his role. So the husband needs to see that and step up and be a leader. That's not the same thing as worrying about whether or not you're asserting your authority as a husband enough. I've heard young men say, I'm not sure I'm asserting my authority. I'm not sure I've established my authority in the family. And I'm not sure we talk about this in a way that helps young men figure that out. It's not as though I arrive in the home the day after the wedding and start laying out my year annual plan and our objectives and start uh, establishing the, the rule and order and, and criteria for who does what in the house uh, because we feel like we, we're supposed to be ste stepping up into a leadership or an authoritarian position. 
I do not, as a husband, I do not need to assert my authority. What I need to do is be a spiritual leader. When we say God has established the husband as the head of the house, and the head is the leader, as Christ is head or leader in the church, and what function does Christ serve in the church? He does everything he can to instruct and to teach and to be an example to forgive and show compassion and patience. All that he does is to get his spiritual body to follow him in the pursuit of righteousness and God. And that is the role of husband as head in the house. Now, there's a lot of menial and there's day-to-day decisions that need to be made in a family. And the husband and wife are going to have to work out how that all settles out. I want to suggest that it's not always going to end up looking the same in each household. Because each household has a husband and a wife that's different from the next door and the next door. Every family is going to be different and look different and sound different. And there will be uh, maybe a more authoritarian tone in some family where there's a, a gentle pleading in another family. I'm not concerned about how that looks from the outside. But I am concerned about the attitudes of heart within the inner workings of that family and how these things play out. But it's primarily not the matter of laying down decisions and rules uh, and, and guidelines for the house as much as it is teaching and leading and being an example and guiding the wife, yourself, your children to follow Jesus Christ. We can be a success financially. We can be uh, in a position of status in the community and it not mean anything in just a few years from now. It won't matter. That will not matter a bit. But the husband that leads his family in righteousness establishes an eternal heritage and that's what this is really all about. And so don't worry about asserting your authority. Just think in terms of how can I lead my family in the Lord to be the kind of people God wants them to be. And so the husband then has that primary responsibility. The wife is the helper. Let's remember that. The wife needs to help you do that. And you need to bring her into your circle. You see, it's just you in the circle so far. Bring your wife into that matter so that as you lead, she can support and help. She can advise and give counsel and her, her thoughts and opinions and her wisdom because she sees things and knows things that you don't, that I don't. And so when we're talking about the husband being the head, that is not, to, that is not something he does separate from, apart from his wife, but something he, he does with his wife. But he does step up and take responsibility. And uh, when the family's not sure whether, what it should do about a move or a purchase or it's some kind of change in the structure of the, of the household, how many children are we going to have? And the, the husband needs to lead in those discussions and let's lead in that decision-making process. But oh, how he needs to listen and how he needs to take his role as a leader, uh, as one who needs help from his own helper. And so the whole family needs to look up to him as a leader. So the husband sets the tone, the, the mood in the house. He needs to set a happy mood. <laughs> when uh, well, We'll talk about that in a minute, but he needs to set the tone in the family. He needs to establish priorities for the family, what's most important. And uh, he needs to be a teacher of truth. Uh, the word of God needs to be taught by the husband in the family. He needs to discipline his children, take the lead there, not leave it to the wife. 
but at the same time knowing that she needs to be a disciplinarian as well. And that does not in any sense infringe on his place and his role. He needs to be able to keep his family safe, safe from intruders, safe from economic disaster. He needs to keep them safe in every way, physically safe in the car and in the, in the, around the house. But more than anything else, he needs to keep his family safe spiritually. And so what does he do to keep his family safe spiritually? He needs to grow up in Christ and he becomes a, he becomes a spiritual leader. He cannot be afraid to make decisions and thus to lead. And he must first, after making some of these more complicated decisions, he needs to look and listen and look some more. And after asking a few questions, listen once again so that he can come to a conclusion and be a good leader in the family. And so all of this demands a thoughtful, responsible, godly courage, faith, and wisdom. And so this is really a lesson in spiritual growth. Fundamentally, the husband needs to grow up spiritually and take that role seriously as well. And so the husband is the head by declaration of the word of God. But as we said this morning in in our study of the role of the wife, the husband is the head in a practical sense by the wife's submission. And so what should I do about that? I need to try to be a person that the wife willingly follows. And wants to please. And that's not by an assertion of authority there. That's, again, it's going to be by spiritual uh, leadership, a leadership of love and compassion and care and protection that makes all the members of the family, but especially the wife, to feel safe and comfortable. She's not afraid of tomorrow. She's not afraid of the neighbors. She doesn't need to be afraid of anything. She has the Lord. But she's got a man that's going to take care of her, that's going to not take advantage of her and abuse her or make her a servant, but, his, but she is in his charge and he will care for her. So thoughtfulness and responsibility and a godly wisdom and courage and faith are the traits that this husband will need to have to be that kind of a head. So he's going to have to win her support. Hopefully, a lot of this has already been developing itself before you marry because if you cannot see this happening as you deal with one another not husband and wife yet but young lady young man or older lady an older man as you consider getting married at whatever stage in life you need to behave and be together in such a way that you figure each other out and you see what kind of a leader will he be how does he handle uh, a crisis what does he do when he not, he's not sure what he ought to do? And the husband or potential husband is watching the, the potential wife to see, is she going to submit or be a helper in the family? Or is she going to want to assert herself in a way that makes me, pushes me out of the circle, pushes me into the background? If I have to fight to, obtain, to maintain my leadership in the family, then that's not a family I want to be, where I want to be a leader. And so a lot of these discussions and a lot of this interaction, we should be discovering these traits and characteristics in one another before the marriage even happens. So we're looking for a leader, if we're ladies looking to marry, and we're looking for someone that wants to help me. I'm looking for someone that wants to help me be a leader in Christ. And so there is no need to assert authority the day after the wedding. It just seems kind of awkward. 
and that's not uh, what's really necessary. So the role is indeed headship. But when we're talking about the responsibility or the works that the husband will do, what is he supposed to do? What's his job? To be the head? Curiously, that instruction is not given. There's not any command in the New Testament where God says, Husbands, be the head. The Bible says, as we read here in Ephesians chapter 5, Wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord. For the husband is the head of the of the wife, as Christ is head of the church and savior of the body. That's just a given. That's just a given. It's not something that I need to worry about or pursue. pursue. What am I told to do then? What is my responsibility? If it's not to be the head, the husband is told in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, here's your number one chore, your number one job as a husband in the family. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies and that will go on we'll read some more in a minute there's the job That's what you do as a husband. If you're going to be the head, what you need to do is start with loving your wife. Not even start by leading your wife. You start by loving your wife. Loving your wife will include some leadership activities, but that leadership needs to be growing out of this affection and care and love for the wife. When we read this, we begin to see there's there's more in here about the church than there is about the family. Right? When we read that paragraph, as Christ is subject, uh, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. We almost forget this is not a passage about the church. It says more about the church than it does about the husband, actually. It talks about giving himself, sanctifying her, cleansing her, washing with the water and the word. That sounds like that's all church stuff. He's going to present her to himself as a glorious church, no blemishes. But the text is not about the church. What's the text about? The text is about the family. And here we're seeing really the explanation for the leadership and and the role and the responsibility of the husband in the family. That continues down all the way through the end of chapter 5 until you come to chapter 6. And he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. He said, oh yeah, we are talking about the family. And so we need to see here that what Christ does for the church is described here, not so we will understand that better. That is here so we will understand what the husband is supposed to be better. Understand him better, his role, his job, what he's supposed to do. And the text is telling us, you need to be like Jesus You need to be like Jesus, husbands, and that is you love your bride. You love her. This church is the illustration. And so what do we find out? He loved the the church so much so that he gave himself for her. And do we love our wives that much? We give ourselves for her. The heroic giving of life certainly might even find its way into our, into our future, unlikely. 
But that's not really what he's calling for anyway. He's calling for us to give our life as, well, as Romans says, as living sacrifices. You become the servant of your wife. You give yourself for her. That almost sounds submissive. And we'll get to that in 2 Peter. It is submissive. The husband is giving himself for her. That he might sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's referring, that we're thinking about the sanctification and salvation process. So, so Jesus is saving the church, cleaning her up, forgiving her sins, washing her so that now she's pure and holy and he can present that church to himself. Do you know of any flaws in your wife at all? Any mistakes she's ever made? It may be difficult, especially in the early days. It's hard for us to find any flaw. We're, we're kind of blurry-eyed anyway. But can, do you know of any criticism that could possibly be made of your wife's behavior or character or demeanor or appearance or anything? No. I don't see anything wrong because she's been washed and cleansed and sanctified. And you know what? I presented her to myself. This is what's being described. Not having, she's a glorious bride, glorious church, glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We need to see our wives as purified and cleansed and holy and good, and we've got no criticism for them. Earlier in the week, I talked about being very critical as we look at that one that we contemplate marrying. We need to be critical. We need to assess. We need to look for faults and flaws and things that might be a problem in a relationship someday. And you be very critical. Remember I said not vocally. We're not talking about telling her any of this. But we've got to think, assess, and critique as we think about this person. And wives, girls need to do the same thing for the men, absolutely. And critiquing all the way up to, when did I say? Till the wedding day. And then you marry and you're done with the criticism. You You present her to yourself as this glorious bride. This is a person who, in my estimation, has no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She's holy and she is without any blemishes. That's how you love your wife. You idolize her. You adore her. And we find very little occasion to be critical at all. Sounds good, doesn't it, ladies? It does. Doesn't it, husbands, guys? That'd be good, right? Wouldn't we, if we can take that part out of a relationship, that doesn't belong in the relationship, looks like that would be a lot more fun when we have that attitude toward our wives. So husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. I'm getting behind here. And so Jesus gave himself for her, and we give ourselves for our wife in service, giving our our energy and our life and our days and nights, we give them to our wives. We sanctify and cleanse and present her to ourselves as is, as a glorious bride. And then as we read verses 28 and 29... Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Well, that makes sense because actually when we marry, 
the two become one flesh. And so I love my wife as I love my own body, as though she were me. I protect her and please her and feed her and let her take naps just as much as I would my own self. Loving our wives as we do our own body. And that love is one that it protects and feeds. Nourishing and cherishing is the idea. Husbands ought to love their wives as though they were one flesh, as though they are one body. Look at 30 through 33. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So you take care of her like you do yourself. Because now you are one. This is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's the closing statement. The two closing statements are, so here's the deal. Because we have become one, he loves the wife as himself and she will respect her husband. That is the end result. Man, we, re- we want to be respected. We'd like to be admired. I think primarily, maybe even more than loved. Be- because we have an ego that, that wants, to, wants to know that, that we are something special, that we're something good, that we're worthwhile. We want to be respected. And our wives, you know what they want? They want to be loved. They want somebody to take care of them, not just providing for them, not just providing things and food and a house. They want someone to love them and provide for them emotionally and personally. And again, as we, we, we listen to these ideas and these ideals and we realize that would be good. That would be good. That is the way we ought to be one toward the other. And so we love as though there is one flesh. And we we miss it there sometimes because we live like the wife is a separate person with whom we have to deal. Now, think back. Have you ever felt that way? Like, okay, I got to figure out what to do because, uh, you know, misses. And so we deal with the wife as though she's separate from us. And and it's not a competition. No, not this time. Uh, It is an obligation to... Uh, but whatever it is that, that has created the distance between me and my spouse in my thinking is, is affecting my treatment of her. I need to figure out that we're one. And when she's not happy, I'm not happy. And when she hurts, I hurt. And, and when she's laughing, I'm laughing right with her, even if he, she is laughing at me. That's a tough one sometimes. But I bite my lips. Okay, it was pretty funny, and I deserve that. So what is the husband told to do? The husband's responsibility is love the wife. I did this this morning for the wives, so let's do it now for the husband. Husbands, love your wives. So what's that look like? If you love your wife, here's what you're going to do. You're going to suffer long. Endure. He's kind. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. So the husband's not going to do any of these, right? Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, not suspicious, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, which means you carry it, you, you endure, you bear the burden, enduring those things, bears all things, believes all things. That's optimism. 
And the husband hopes all things, looking for the best that life, truly life, has to offer and endures all things. We just keep going, keep serving, keep loving, keep being the man that God wants us to be. And that's what love does. What is the husband told to do? The husband is told in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Remember, just pause and see where we are. If you look up at verse 1 of chapter 3, you can see wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. And we talked about that this morning. That was this morning's lesson. What are wives supposed to do? And so that's 3, 1 through 6. So the wives really, they really got it this morning. Those, but you know what we got? We, we're going to get it now. We got one verse. Verse 7 is it. So let's at least take this one to heart. Husbands, likewise. I mean, likewise what? What do you mean likewise? Well, let's go back. Something, something's been laid down already that now the husbands are going to likewise. You back up to the top of the, of the section and you're at chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And you go before that, back up to 18 of chapter 2, servants, be submissive to your masters. And in 13, verse 13, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance for the Lord's sake. So government, we submit to the government. All right, so we submit to the government, we submit to masters, wives submit to husbands, and verse 7, husbands likewise. What do you think the likewise is pointing to? Likewise, husbands, submit to your wives. Doesn't Ephesians chapter 5 go on and get past the family responsibilities and then says, and each one of you submitting himself one to another, or every one of you submitting one to another. Everybody submits to everybody. That's, that's basically a fundamental quality of Christianity is that we submit. And there's different kinds of submission. And here, the husband submitting to the wife is not allowing her to rule over him, but in what sense is he submitting to her? He's submitting to her needs, her wishes, her desires, and uh, he is lowering himself to be her servant. He does that as the head. That's too complicated for me. Let's make it simple. We'll draw a picture. Let's see Jesus and how he lived and how he died. There is a king and a lord that was submissive and subjected to his own people. He was their servant. He was their savior. He was their king. And that is, that's what we do as husbands. We're not kings. We are leaders. We are heads in the family. But we live for and we guide and we teach and we serve and we live for the welfare and the benefit of our wives. And so wives, submit to your husbands. And don't be afraid to do that as long as you've got yourself a husband like this who likewise will submit to you. So now let's read the whole verse. That's what likewise is talking about, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That last part is serious. That your prayers be not hindered. What's that mean? What makes my prayers not be, not be effective? I'm not in the right relationship with God. I've lost my connection to to the Father in heaven. 
If my prayers are being hindered, that's what's at stake. So this is a serious responsibility that we need to accept. So what is the responsibilities? With a submissive attitude of serving the welfare of our wives, we dwell with them with understanding. That means we need to understand them. And we cannot hide behind the joke that nobody can understand women. They just don't make sense. Just give up. You cannot understand women. The Bible says understand your wife. You don't have to understand all of them, but you have to understand one of them. You need to understand your wife. How in the world can we understand our wife? We pay attention to them. We watch them. What makes them happy? What makes them sad? When are they tired? When are they full of energy? How do they react in those situations? You should know that. You know, after a few years anyway, you grow in this. It's a growth uh, process. But uh, what kind of things upset her and what kind of things calm her? What, what does she want out of life? What does she want out of this day? What's the one thing she'd like to really get done and accomplish this week? Do I know any of those things? I hate to make a confession here, but I don't always know all of those things. But I, I need to do better. I need to live with my wife with understanding, which means I pay attention. And I make effort to understand. i got to do some research and watching. And I need to have good communication. I need to ask questions. I need to learn when the time is to ask those questions. But I'll learn that along the way. I'll understand when I don't need to insert into her right now period with my questions. She's concentrating. And uh, dwell with them with understanding. And giving them honor... As to the weaker vessel, what's it mean that she is the weaker vessel? We first think that uh, for the most part, the wives are weaker physically in physical strength than the husbands. Do we really think that that's the matter, that that's the point? I, I really don't think that's the point. I don't think we honor them because they're physically weaker than we are. Uh, that might suggest I protect or help her move stuff around, but the giving of honor is not in that. Is it weaker? Is she weaker emotionally? Some people kind of tread out on that dangerous limb, that they're weaker emotionally. I don't believe that. Uh, Who decided that it's weaker to be emotional? Maybe those are strong emotions. So I, I don't really believe that. And I know she's not weaker intellectually. She's just not. <laughs> and that's been well established. And so what, what, how, in what sense is the woman the weaker vessel? Well, in the sense of chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands. They say, go ahead, Don, you be the king from now on. You're in charge. I'll follow you. I'll do what you do. And she has put herself in a position to be the weaker vessel. So what do we do with that? Honor. We respect her and we lift her up. What's verse 7 say? Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Why why does she deserve honor? As to the weaker vessel. She has submitted herself and yielded herself to her husband. And as that weaker vessel, she deserves honor. So give her the honor she deserves. And you honor her as being heirs 
together of the grace of life. We are heirs together in the grace of life. When we look at our wives, gentlemen, we're looking at a spiritual equal. We are not in charge of her spiritually. She belongs to the Lord. She is a disciple of Christ of her own choosing and in her own faith and her own service to the Lord. She is responsible to him in that sense. She is an equal with us. She is a joint heir in the grace of Christ. And I think, husbands, we ought to, we ought to link arms with our spouses and let them help us move forward in spiritual strength. Uh, study together, <clears throat> talk together, and discuss, uh, discuss moral uh, complications and, and uh, spiritual judgments and, and use her as, as a spiritual sounding board. Uh, it, it took me a long time. I thought, you know, I'm the preacher, I'm the husband, I'm this and I'm all that. And it took me a long time to begin to appreciate my wife as one who was joined to heirs in the grace of Christ, in the grace of life. So we need to do that. See her, not, not look over her condescendingly as, at this helper, but this is a spiritual helper that is a joint heir in the grace of life. And I need to do this so my prayers aren't hindered. These are commandments of the Lord, and if we are faithful in obeying them and keeping them, we will enhance our opportunities to get to heaven and to live eternally with God. It doesn't matter who you married. You do what verse 7 says. She's a new Christian. She hasn't studied the Bible as long as I have. She's a joint heir in the grace of life. You need to bring her up to speed. So get to work. But don't look down on her because she doesn't know the Bible that you know. Hasn't had the opportunity to study. We, 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 we do that because we love. In this self-sacrificing, I have become your servant kind of love. None of which, none of which will diminish our place as the head in the house and the leader of the family. So let's be careful to, to choose a woman that respects us and that we trust will work with us in coming to the Lord. As we look at these things, we want to finish by considering the model for uh, God's husband. Where in the Bible do we find what we found in Proverbs 31, the, the virtuous woman and the description of that wife? It's just classic. And it's because of that chapter that I decided I needed to find one for the guys. There's got to be something similar that we can look at. And uh, I've got the qualifications of an elder. An elder then becomes maybe the model that men, young men, middle-aged men, older men, that we all need to be striving to be this person because of what the scriptures say about, uh, say about him. Uh, in... Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the list of qualifications, the key word that is used several times in the list of the two lists in, in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, uh, both lists contain the word blameless, and I think both lists use the word blameless more than once in the list itself. And the point is that you are without blame or reproach, that this man has, has come to where he's difficult to criticize. There's, there's not faults that you can see or find. 
The, the idea surely is not, we don't think, surely we don't think this means that he's perfect, he's sinless. Uh, even as we are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb and come to Jesus as sinful people seeking to be followers and disciples, baptized for the remission of our sins, and for a moment there, we are blameless in the literal sense. There is no fault. There is no guilt. But those days change us, and we do trip along the way and stumble. So blameless doesn't mean sinless, but it means that this is a person that I can't find occasion to criticize and that is the person the blameless one is one who loves his wife as himself and so what does he look like how does he behave and uh, what can we learn from this blameless husband well we're not going to study the qualifications of the elder but i'm going to put them in front of us just so we can see it for a few moments here and i've bold print underlined the word blameless because that's at the top of the list it'll be found later in the list Uh, but he's blameless and let's, pick, let's picture the, each of these. I'm just going to read the list. I'm not going to talk about it. Just read the list. But as I read the list, I want you, I'll give you a, just a moment to, to pause and picture what it means to be sober-minded. You know, you know somebody sober-minded. What does it look like to see a sober-minded man? Or in what place? Just, just a slide glimpse of this sober-minded man. He is going to be sober-minded, self-controlled. He's disciplined. He's upright or righteous. He's holy. He's respectable. He's a lover of good. He's hospitable. He holds firm the word and able to teach. He's not arrogant. He's not a drunkard. No debauchery. And that would be other filthy sins. No insubordination. That's a rebellious spirit that sneaks out once in a while. He's not quick-tempered, not violent, but gentle. He's not quarrelsome. He's not a lover of money. He's well thought of by outsiders. That's interesting. Just, but in general, everybody that knows him thinks well of him is the idea. And you see the scriptures where these two lists are found. This is the two lists kind of meshed into one. So, ladies, you want to marry this guy? (laughs) That's a good man. That's a man that you can submit yourself to and follow his lead, and you, you will not be demeaned. You will feel a great worth in his presence because you are valuable to him. He understands how it really is. This is who you're looking for. Husbands, you want to be a good man. I think we want to be this guy as much as our wives want us to be this guy. So let's just be it. Let's be him. And it's a process. I know that because I've been at it for several years. Several years. And it's still a process. Still working on. Some of those more than others even. But the model husband is, is, uh, becomes a leader. And what kind of leader? What kind of head? Well, kind of like the elder of a church who doesn't boss people around but gathers people to Christ like a shepherd, keeping the the flock out of trouble, keeping the sheep to be safe and nourished and and protected. And and that's, that's the leadership in the home as well as in the house of God. 
And so I hope that these lessons have helped us. We need to consider our marriages and understand that it's not going to be gimmicks that set us on the right path. Without the spiritual foundation in place, the, the basic Bible passages we've been talking about, without that in place, I'll read this part because I can't remember them all. I've got some books here that, that you might have used to help your marriage and they're kind of on the market and some older than others. But, but without the spiritual foundation, the, fo- the five love languages, men from Mars and women from Venus... Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. That sounds like one of my sermons. Hold Me Tight and Mating in Captivity Will Disappoint. If you've got the spiritual fundamentals in place, you may find good advice and ideas and helps from these secular books. I'm not saying throw them out. I haven't read most of these or any of these actually. But we've got to get the spiritual fundamentals in place. Be what God wants you to be, and, and your marriage will work. And then you can still make it better even beyond that. I do hope and I pray that this, these lessons will help you. But understand, that as, I, as I go home, you've got the lessons in front of you all the time. There's just a few passages that I kept referring to, and you find those. And just keep, keep going back to what those scriptures teach us to be. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a disciple of Christ yet, that's what this whole process is about. It's talking about one aspect of the life of a disciple of Christ, to be the husband that God calls for us to be, to be the wife that God commands us to be as women. And that involves submission to the Lord in every respect. If we have not yet found the solution to our sins and been forgiven and possess eternal life, then we need to start there. If anyone is subject to the call of Jesus tonight, let us help you come to the Lord. Excuse me. Let us help you come to the Lord as we stand together and sing the invitation song.